This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Thank you for joining us today on an episode about postpartum psychosis. We have touched on this topic over the years in the podcast, um, but very recently there's been some national media news regarding a case of a woman who uh, possibly was experiencing postpartum psychosis. And it has brought up a lot of questions and a lot of concern, especially being in the national spotlight, both with what, you know, people wondering what even is postpartum psychosis, not understanding what a mom might be going through who's experiencing this really devastating mental health condition. And my guest today, Michelle Davidson, who is a board member along with me at Postpartum Support International, wanted to come on and share some information with you all so that we're staying on top of, you know, stories and stigma and making sure to get really good information out there. What is absolutely clear is that so much more education needs to happen at all levels of care for perinatal folks um, and really specifically empowering the person themselves to understand what their risk factors might be. And Michelle will go through a lot of that. Um, and also educating providers like OBs and uh, nursing staff and mental health folks, psychiatrists and therapists, but you know doulas and lactation and anybody really who is supporting a perinatal person uh, during this incredibly vulnerable period of time in their life. So Michelle is coming on to share some bit of information with us. We do go through quite a bit of details we do talk about infanticide at parts of our discussion. So for those of you who are not quite sure if you're ready or able to hear that part of our discussion, certainly you can skip through that part. Um, but our discussion is really important because it's so misunderstood. And while we are not going to be able to touch on every single aspect that needs to be known and understood about postpartum psychosis, 
I think it is a really enlightening discussion and a good way for for everyone to be able to be a support to someone who's in the postpartum period, as well as during pregnancy. Michelle is going to be talking about what postpartum psychosis is and when people are most likely to experience an onset of symptoms, but certainly some other times where it might be less known that postpartum psychosis symptoms could begin, what family members might notice or the person themselves might notice if they are experiencing something like postpartum psychosis. We're going to talk about what the family members or people around the postpartum person might be noticing and might be able to pick up on if their loved one is experiencing postpartum psychosis. Also a little bit of what the internal experience might be like for someone who's experiencing it themselves can be really hard to know for some folks what is going on. And Michelle goes into some really great explanation of that. Michelle Davidson is a PhD, certified nurse midwife, PMHNPBC and PMHBC, CFN, SANE, and a nurse. She's been a certified nurse midwife for almost 30 years, delivering more than 1,000 babies in her career. After her own battle with postpartum psychosis, she became a PMHNP with specialization and certification in perinatal mental health in an effort to help other families suffering from this disorder. Dr. Davidson served as an associate professor of nursing at George Mason University, including developing the Certificate in Forensic Nursing and being the coordinator of the PhD program, during which time her research focused on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Dr. Davidson co-developed the Davidson conceptual model of prodromal postpartum psychosis symptomology, which has been used in reproductive psychiatry practice. She is also the author of over 35 textbooks and 50 peer-reviewed articles, including The Nurse's Guide to Women's Mental Health, which was awarded the American Journal of Nursing Book Award and Old's Maternal Newborn Nursing, which is published in 12 languages. Dr. Davidson is currently on the Postpartum Support International Board of Directors and serves as the Infanticide Coordinator. She served 12 years as a postpartum psychosis coordinator for the organization as well. She resides with her husband in coastal Virginia and has four children. She's the owner and founder of Chesapeake Bay Psychiatry, which specializes in perinatal mental health. Let's meet Dr. Davidson. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful, especially postpartum psychosis is something that we should always be talking about. Recently, it's gotten a lot of a lot of really heightened attention in the media. So I'm grateful that you're coming on to share with us what postpartum psychosis is and what it isn't and, and what people can know and understand about it. So yeah, for wherever you'd like to start for today to, to help the listeners understand. Sure. So postpartum psychosis is under the umbrella of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So under that umbrella, we have postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD, and postpartum psychosis. So psychosis is really the most severe of those conditions, and it does warrant immediate emergency intervention. So postpartum depression, most people are familiar with, a depressed mood, and those symptoms usually inability to get out of bed, not interested in activities, maybe having difficulty caring for themselves or their baby, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. 
postpartum anxiety is just what you think. It's anxiety that has an onset in the postpartum period. Someone may have had anxiety before and it's worsened after having a baby, or they may just have a new onset of anxiety in the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. OCD, you can have intrusive thoughts. So that's where people get a little bit confused between the OCD and the psychosis. Mm-hmm. Psychosis is really a break in reality. So people may not know right from wrong. They may have hallucinations, delusions, mixed moods, manic moods. A lot of individuals that have postpartum psychosis have risk factors for them. And the largest risk factor is a family member with it or bipolar disorder, pre-existing bipolar disorder or a new onset of Mm -hmm. bipolar disorder. But there's about 10% of people that have a depressed mood with psychotic features and have the delusions and hallucinations and things. So it doesn't mean you always are going to have a diagnosis of bipolar. Mm-hmm. Right. So the people know the least about postpartum psychosis of, of all of the perinatal mental health conditions and gets really confused for people in some of the ways that you mentioned between depression and OCD type intrusive thoughts. A lot of what's come out in the media and and has been a problem for a long time is calling basically anything that somebody's dealing with post as postpartum depression versus what they might be dealing with is actually a postpartum psychosis. So how how do you explain to people like that it's they they are not the same thing even though the the you, you've listed that the symptoms are different. People just say, well, isn't postpartum just a, sorry, postpartum psychosis, just severe depression? So we see a lot of really unusual symptoms with postpartum psychosis. Most of the family members are picking up something's really off. Mm-hmm. It's not themselves. They may not be sleeping. That's a telltale sign if they're sleeping less than two hours and 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Most moms don't get a lot of sleep, but they really miss it. And a lot of people with postpartum psychosis will sleep that little bit and not really miss sleep at all. So that's a really big red flag if you have someone not sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, Fusion, paranoia, fixed false beliefs or delusions, hallucinations, like hearing voices, seeing people, feeling something on their skin or something crawling on them, smelling something that's not there that no one else smells are all forms of hallucinations. The most common are the auditory or hearing voices, and then the visual are the next most common. So obviously, if someone's really acting peculiar, suspiciousness, thoughts like the baby doesn't like me, or everyone thinks I'm a bad mom, things like that is common. A preoccupation with the children is not uncommon. Mm. Those can be like a psychotic event occurring. Mm-hmm. So the, I, I wonder if the difference there, just to highlight it a little bit, is maybe with the depression, some somebody might be feeling like that, that I, like I am a bad mom versus a postpartum psychosis that everybody thinks that they're a bad mom. Is that a... I'm a bad mom, right? Where you're feeling it yourself. In my experience, about 50% of people feel like something's really wrong with me. This mm-hmm. is not... And 50% of people feel like everyone around them has something wrong with them. I'm the only one right. Nobody understands. Nobody believes that there's someone standing in the yard looking at me. Nobody believes there's people talking to me. Whereas that other 50% are like, I'm hearing voices, something's not right. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. 
Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Mm -hmm. So I know that in in terms of the postpartum psychosis symptoms, there might be some some waxing and waning or coming and going of of symptoms. So sometimes somebody can appear or seem or feel like fully lucid and, and kind of all together. And then at other times they might be having that break from reality and not be behaving like themselves while and responding to hallucinations or, or other th- delusions or other things that are going on internally. So how does, does when, when somebody's kind of in their more lucid state when they're not having as much symptomology, are they more aware that something's not right? It, it kind of goes down that line of 50-50. Some mm. of it is protective, like I'm not going to let anyone know something's going on. And other people, when they're more lucid, feel like, well, maybe I'm really okay. Mm. Now, psychosis is only affecting one to two per thousand, whereas postpartum depression is so much more common. So with depression, you have the down mood, you don't really have any elevated mood, you don't have any hypomania or mania. Depression, they may have trouble sleeping, but they're still going to miss sleep if they're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. They're going to exhausted, or they're sleeping all the time because they just can't get themselves out of bed. So it's very different presentation with the postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. And you were mentioning before that family members would be able to potentially tell that something was kind of off or different uh, about the the person experiencing the symptoms. Are there other things that people might hear? Like, I guess what I want to ask is like, if if there's a loved one acting with somebody who is dealing with a postpartum psychosis, what would it sound like or, or look like? Typically their thoughts are disorganized and they're not logical. They have illogical thinking, disorganized behavior, they can't really put things together like they normally would. Hmm. Um, they can be really lucid and then they can have issues with forgetfulness. 
a lot of people do describe their symptoms as like a cognitive cloudiness or feeling foggy, mm. like removed from themselves. Mm. So that's not as common with depression. So your depression, you're really looking at a down mood and, mm-hmm. and that's pretty clear with anxiety. They're worrying all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And typically with, with your OCD, they're having thoughts that are alarming to them, very alarming to them. So with with psychosis, there can be thoughts that are not in line with what that person would usually do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what you can see with OCD type of behaviors too. Whereas with the psychosis, they're having more thoughts of things that they would never do. Or it's not in character. Uh, oh, right. But it, when they're having thoughts of things that they would never do, thoughts that are uncharacteristic of them, something that they wouldn't do, let's say, if they were, quote unquote, in their right mind, when they're having those thoughts and they're in that kind of more symptom, they're having more symptoms during that, that period of time, does it register for them that that's not something that they would do or their their thoughts don't seem strange to them. A lot of times their thoughts might not seem strange to them. So you have people that the thoughts seem very rational. Maybe someone who is a really good mom, really diligent, really caring, becomes suicidal. And they think, I don't want to leave my children behind. I don't want to abandon my children. And maybe the children, that's when you see infanticide cases occur. And usually they're not that someone has evil thoughts against their children. trying to save their children or give them a better fate than leaving them behind. Right. So for somebody who's hearing that and thinking like, oh, how could anybody think that? What what would you say to people who don't understand? Well, I think most people don't understand. And you mm-hmm. said a few minutes ago that every person that's had a really poor outcome, family member has said to me at one point or another, they weren't in their right mind. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the case. They're not in their right mind. So people who, you know, when a suicide occurs or an adverse event occurs, typically they do not know right from wrong. They don't realize it was their act was wrong. Mm-hmm. So if if we can talk just for a moment about infanticide or even filicide and suicide, specifically when it comes to postpartum psychosis, because in terms of perinatal mental health, conditions and outcomes, this is the least frequent outcome, but it's the one that scares people the most, I would say. Right, the most severe. Mm -hmm. So about infanticide cases, we hear of infanticide cases commonly associated with postpartum psychosis in the media, Mm -hmm. but it occurs in 1%. So you're looking at a disorder that occurs one to two per thousand. And then of those out of 101 will result in infanticide statistically. So Mm -hmm. it's very low incidence, but it's, it's a catastrophic event when it occurs. Suicide occurs about 4% in individuals with postpartum psychosis. And we think about postpartum fatalities or mortality and morbidity, and we don't realize that the number one cause Uh, maternal or um, individual postpartum is suicide. Mm. The number one cause of death, it's not postpartum hemorrhage, it's not preeclampsia, 
it's suicide of the pregnant or postpartum person. And, and that's across all perinatal mental health conditions, not just postpartum psychosis. Exactly. So we always have to be really alert for people with suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and be screening. So I think screening is so important. Down syndrome, for example, occurs in one in 700 births in the United States. Mm-hmm. Every pregnant person, whether they're 19 or 45, we screen them with the first trimester screening test for Down syndrome and chromosomal disorders. To me, one in 700 and one in a thousand isn't that far off, but we don't screen anyone for postpartum psychosis. Right. I, I fear that people wouldn't even know how to, and I assume that that's true. That is true. So looking at family history, looking at their bipolar is the biggest risk factor, but if they have a mental health condition is another risk factor. Family members, if they tell me they had a grandmother who had a baby and was put away in a mental institution for a couple of years, that's a big red flag. There's a family history of probably some psychosis or serious postpartum mental illness. Traumatic or adverse events Birth events is another risk factor. Individuals with poor social support or a lot of stressors, whether it be military deployment, any number of factors, loss of a job, mm. change income levels, moving, all those factors increase your stress levels and increase the risk. So how do, certainly risk doesn't necessarily mean that it will absolutely happen, but it obviously is worthwhile to know what your risk factors are to, you know, to help prevent. But to that end, like how, how, when are people like either figuring out that something's not quite right? How soon after birth or even within pregnancy are there? Let me just start with that first. Are within pregnancy, could there be signs or even psychosis during pregnancy? You can develop psychosis during pregnancy. It's not as common as after birth, but it can occur. Obviously, if someone has a psychosis in pregnancy, that's really, really high incidence that they're going to have a postpartum event as well. Mm -hmm. When we go back and say, how are we going to try to figure out who we're going to kind of monitor? If you like when I do an intake of a pregnant person or someone wanting to get pregnant, I look at their risk factors. And so that's why Mm -hmm. healing history is so important, that mental health history And really seeing, obviously, is there underlying mental illness? Are there risk factors of this and that? If it's a subsequent pregnancy and not their first pregnancy, how they did in previous pregnancies is really Mm -hmm. important. So we know if someone has postpartum psychosis in one pregnancy, they're very high risk to have in another pregnancy if they're unmedicated. So we advocate to do medication either during the pregnancy if they're at risk for, you know, perinatal while they're pregnant, psychosis, or immediately upon birth to start medicating them for preventative measures. Mm -hmm. And immediately upon birth, is that when symptoms can start? So a lot of people, especially people with bipolar, you commonly see it in the first two weeks postpartum. Mm -hmm. And those hormones are just, as soon as you cut that umbilical cord, the hormones are starting to really shift. Mm -hmm. Um, But interestingly, we see it anytime there's a hormonal shift. So I was previously a postpartum psychosis coordinator for Postpartum Support International, and we would see a 
big increase between four and six months when people were adding solids who were nursing. Mm -hmm. So as their prolactin levels started coming down and they were adding solids or cereal or whatever, and they were nursing a little less, we would see it. When people were weaning, we would see it. And you can really see it up to a year Mm -hmm. that people have a psychotic episode. Is there, is there also a potential for like when periods restart? Anytime there's a shift in hormones, you can see that. Right. So in a lot of, a lot of material says that postpartum psychosis just starts pretty early on. It does. So that's most cases are starting earlier on. Especially people with pre-existing bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And research is related to really following those individuals. So you do see a high, high incidence in that first two weeks postpartum. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there, maybe this is too nuanced of a question, but do you know if there's any difference in how symptoms show up, like just after birth in those first two weeks versus later on down the road around that four to six month mark? I don't think, I have not seen in the literature a big variation in what the symptoms are. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was in education, we did a study on pre-psychotic indicators of postpartum psychosis and developed a conceptual model. And it was really interesting. A hundred percent of people, which is very unlike, very uncommon in the study, slept two hours or less in 24 hours. Mm. Um, They had paranoia, thought thought changes or confusion, fogginess, or variation in their thoughts. And they also had kind of cloudiness. They described it as cloudiness, not feeling like themselves, they could identify specific stressors in their lives as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, right. You had mentioned sleep before and yeah, two hours is really not much at all and and certainly not enough on an ongoing basis. It's not just like one night they didn't sleep for two hours. This is uh, how soon after somebody's not sleeping much can those symptoms start? It's variable. But I think it's important to make sure that people realize there's going to be a night as a new mom that you're not sleeping. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And not to panic. But I tell my patients, people who are prisoners of war are tortured by not letting up sleep. Mm -hmm. And if you, I kept you up for night upon night for a week or two weeks and you didn't sleep, you would probably start having mental symptoms occur. Right. Even with no pre-existing conditions or... If I Any didn't. significant stress. Exactly. The stress, just the stress of not sleeping. And they've certainly looked at that in studies too. So it's so important for birthing people to have protected sleep. Mm-hmm. We tell them nap when the baby naps, but it's really important to nap when the baby naps. Mm-hmm. So you don't get depleted in your sleep. Right. Because this is, especially for folks who are nursing there, there's going to be disrupted sleep. It's not like you can just pass the baby off to somebody else to feed so you can just sleep. Although I'm I'm sure for, and maybe we'll get into this in a little bit in terms of like prevention or or supports, there's probably some kind of work around there. Right. So uh, for the person who's experiencing, you had mentioned, of course, yeah, all new parents who've just birthed and mostly all new parents are going to be experiencing some time without sleep. So and it, like you had said, you don't want people who who haven't had one night of sleep to to start worrying that this is all going to happen. However, it because sleep is so important, it it is worthwhile to protect it. 
if you could, I guess, speak to like what the internal experience is for someone who might be in like some beginning stages, what they would be experiencing internally and what it might feel like for someone, just so anyone who's listening could can have a kind of barometer for themselves. So I think there's good literature saying that the person just doesn't feel like themselves. They feel off. Mm-hmm. A lot of distractibility, a lot of not putting things together, like their behavior becomes what we call disorganized. Mm-hmm. That their thoughts just aren't running together properly. Mm-hmm. So like they might not be able to like complete a task or they they might get frustrated by not remembering. I think both things can happen. I think if they, you have someone with mania, you have them with pressured speech or talking really fast or really loud, really impulsive, a lot of impulsiveness, doing things out of character. So Mm -hmm. staying up and going to the grocery store at 1130, if this is someone in bed all the time at 730, Mm -hmm. um, things that aren't characteristic for them. Mm-hmm. So internally, they, you said before, 50% kind of realize something's not quite right. And then the other 50% don't realize that something's not quite right. And they're thinking everyone around them is not rational. Mm-hmm. Husband is not making good decisions. My husband is not trusting me. They're kind of feeling like everyone around them is not mm-hmm. and not I'm not able to have insight into themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think this is a, a, one thing that gets really, and not to necessarily get too much into the legal system, but specifically in, in cases of infanticide, where some lawyers, prosecutors might say, oh, well, she knew what she was doing because whatever, X, Y, or Z, they have some idea that she was lucid at one point. So that means she knows what she was doing. So one of the things we see in postpartum psychosis, especially when there's infanticide involved is prosecutors or legal issues that people think she knew what she was doing or because they were lucid at one point Mm -hmm. or they went to work that morning or they completed tasks in an orderly fashion. So it's important to remember that these symptoms can really wax or wane. And when they really have a break in reality, they truly don't know right from wrong. So this is not someone who who typically devises a scheme or comes up with a plan. Most of the case of infanticide, we have collateral information that they were a caring parent, that they care of the baby, that they were worried about their baby that they showed signs of attachment and bonding to their children. So it's not, it's more unusual that we get a case where someone has a history of being a really bad parent and things. Typically we see a variety of people. I mean, postpartum psychosis is not limited to any educational level, any ethnicity and race and mm-hmm. age. you see it across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, really important like uh, to go back to what you were saying about how people are are vilified a lot of assumptions are made about the person and i think that is true certainly in the in the media and with cases of infanticide but also just in general because the stigma is so high around mental health in general and then you add in not really knowing what it's about or what that means and 
people who are dealing with postpartum psychosis who are not having, let's say, suicidal ideation or ideation about harming their child, they're still dealing with really intense stigma. And they're like who who they are as a person is kind of like set aside a little bit. And a, a lot of really incorrect assumptions are made about who they are as people. That's that's very true. And especially, you know, I think the thing about postpartum psychosis is people can't really imagine what it's like not to know right from wrong, what it's like to consider hurting yourself or hurting someone else. It's not something that most of us can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's against our intuition of what a parent is that you would harm a child or you would leave your child behind if a suicide occurs. So I think for most people, it's really hard to understand about psychosis. Mm -hmm. I'm a postpartum psychosis survivor myself. Mm -hmm. And one's experience is very different, but I definitely had a waxing and waning of symptoms. I continued to work, but I wasn't sleeping. I didn't hear voices, but I had very strong delusions and thoughts and was verbalizing it. And Mm -hmm. my therapist, my psychiatrist thought, there's no way you can do all this and uh, take care of four children and (laughs) and have postpartum psychosis, but I did. So it's really, it's hard to believe that someone with minimal risk factors and I wasn't bipolar. So how did this happen? And I had a poor birth outcome child, my youngest child. So it just can happen to anyone. And until I think you go through it, it's hard to believe it can happen. And when you're having the delusions and the hallucinations, they are so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really convincing. Um, really believe in that moment that it is the truth. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate you talking about your experience. I mean, and and exactly to your point, like I know you and having no knowing who you are and having postpartum psychosis are it's not like it doesn't having had postpartum psychosis doesn't mean anything about who you are. It just means you went through something extremely intense. And I think it's really worthwhile to to make that point for for people to understand. It's not like this some there's only like quote unquote certain kinds of people have have go through this or, or deal with this. And while it might be really difficult to hear that it can happen to anyone, that's why you're talking about it is so that people can know ahead of time and doesn't have to surprise them or and their families. And so that people can start to understand what risk factors can can look like and feel like. Right. And if people have risk factors a lot of the care providers are like, well, what are we supposed to do with this information? Mm-hmm. It's essential that they're being monitored. They're being asked about these symptoms. Do they have any sleep issues? Do they have any hallucinations or paranoia or anything like that? Do they feel off? Do they feel foggy? Do they feel like they can't think straight? So checking in with them. And that's why perinatal reproductive psychiatry and perinatal mm-hmm. providers are so valuable to to people with risk factors early. So if I can see someone who's at risk for psychosis and I have a baseline of what they're like, I can spot right away. They're not, it's not right. But when you see someone with suspected psychosis and they're pulling it together 
and it's waxing and waning and they're really together during your assessment, it's much more difficult. So early intervention for getting them into appropriate mental health resources is really important. Mm -hmm. There's maternal mental health hotline, which is a national program. And that's 24 hour access in English and Spanish and just great resources. And so the other great thing about going to a perinatal specialist is they know all the resources. They know the resources in your community, nationally, what's available and can link you into those type of resources. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you were saying that, I don't think a lot of people know that there are specialists for one, which is another reason why we're trying to educate is that there are specialists who can help and guide you to the right resources and Postpartum Support International is for sure one of them. And everybody needs education on this because people who go to an OB who doesn't have an understanding of this or who show up in an emergency room and the, the providers there don't have an understanding of this, then they're not getting the appropriate help that they need. A lot of these assumptions that we've talked about already are, are kind of being thrown, thrown around or outright dismissed and people are just sent home without care. Very, very common. You see that the most? see that a lot because they pull it together. Your instinct is not to be taken away from your baby, not to be hospitalized. I think it's really critical that when you talk about the perinatal specialist, that people are hooked into those resources and families when they're sent home are at a loss for what to do. Yeah. And you need that step to, I need a perinatal specialist now because the ER released me or people at primary care or OB said, you're probably just depressed and need sleep and things. But I think it's really important that people with postpartum psychosis need medication. Mm -hmm. They they do need therapeutic intervention with medications. There's a lot of people now that are on medications for depression or anxiety. Those are just as important if you've been put on that to continue your medication. Mm Mm-hmm those are all important things as well. So having that provider with that knowledge on what medications to use. And I'll say we use therapy a lot for postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD and and that, but it's so important for people with postpartum psychosis because I would say all of them are ridden with guilt Mm. with a week of being with their baby or they weren't lucid for a month with their baby, whether they treated their Mm. spouse poorly or whatever, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of stigma. So as important as medications are, the therapy piece and support piece is equally as important mm-hmm. to treat this disorder. Yeah, man, that's right. With the with the stigma and the all of that shame and guilt, it, I, it, I just, for anybody really dealing with that too, it's so much harder to heal and cope when that, the heaviness of all of that is also something you're trying to battle through. It's just, devast- it's already devastating to be dealing with this. This is not what people hope for or wish for or ask for to be dealing when they have a, a new baby. That's like the farthest thing from their mind. They wouldn't wish it on their enemies, but here they are doing what they can do to, to survive. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of support and intensive treatment to really overcome. And so it's so important to get that help immediately 
and family support is invaluable too and support from friends and we get all the time questions of well my friend was psychotic I don't know what to say you can just say I know you had a hard time and I'm here for you like if you need someone to listen if you need help take a meal over whatever but just be a friend if your friend had cancer that you wouldn't you wouldn't be saying the same statement yep right yeah people do get sort of like weird and awkward around mental health but because right we're we don't we don't foster it in our society to be supportive of that the same way we do like uh, other diagnoses and this is a medical diagnosis all of these things are it's not like quote unquote in your head it's it's mental health is a full body process When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I want to go back and touch on a point that you made that I think is super important about not just stopping medications. Can it, can you say what more about what you've seen happening and around that and why people shouldn't? So sometimes if there's a lot in the media and things, people may have the impression that medications can make you worse. When you're working with a healthcare professional, you want to take their direction and continue the medications. If you're concerned about a medication, contact your provider and have a discussion with them and be be very frank with them. But if you're on an antidepressant for depression or you're on something for anxiety or sleep, it's really important to never just stop the medication because most of the psychiatric medications we wean people off of when their symptoms are really stable. Mm-hmm. and for a while. Um, so you don't want to stop because a lot of times you'll just rebound and your symptoms will come back. With psychosis, we know if you give someone an antipsychotic or a mood stabilizer and they stop it, the psychosis is probably going to come back. 
So they need to be on it. The recommendation is a year after stability. So if someone was psychotic for four months, they would stay on it another 12 months once they were stable before they would consider discontinuing it. If someone's been identified as bipolar, that needs medication for life. Mm -hmm. So some of these mental health issues really warrant ongoing treatment. But in general, any of the perinatal mood disorders, it's really important to work as a team with your provider. And you're an active participant. If you don't like medication, I would much rather my patients call me and say, I don't like the way I feel on this. I'm not sleeping on this. I'm sleeping too much on this. And we work together to find a new alternative. Then they just discontinue it and get more depressed or more anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's so, so, so important. It's for sure. And as you were saying, it's been in the media. And and too, we hear little clips of things like, oh, the lawyer for this case said she was on too many medications. And as soon as somebody hears that, of course, they're going to be afraid that, oh, what if this medication is going to make me um, more or less stable or do something that I don't want to do? But the risk is so much higher when you just stop cold turkey of of your your mental health and your health just taking massive steps back. That's it's unfortunate. Like sometimes media and social media does good with education and and then sometimes it doesn't. And it's just so hard to know if you're afraid, if you're feeling fear, what direction to go. But I mean, if you right, you have a provider, you can always check in. Exactly. And then I think the final thing is the resources, that there really are resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned the Maternal Mental Health Hotline, Postpartum Support International is a great resource. They have free support groups, free peer-to-peer mentoring. Mm-hmm. They have seven days a week in English and Spanish. They have a warm line that you can call and get a call back. They have regional coordinators, so someone right in your area. So there are a lot of resources through them. And they do have those local coordinators who know, for example, we have a resource center for pregnancy and postpartum in our community. Mm. And the postpartum coordinators know about that. The perinatal providers know about that. So they can really refer women to that. And those groups, there's just community-based resources that are so important as well. Sure. Yeah. And the, the PSI's postpartum psychosis coordinator, and, and you also work as an infanticide coordinator. So that means that people who are concerned or who are dealing with symptoms or need help can like call, call directly to get that kind of expertise, someone who's gone through it. So helpful for families too. Right. Absolutely. Even a family group for postpartum psychosis. Yeah. Support group for that as well. That's so important, right? Because it's just, as you were saying before, any kind of medical illness or disease is impacting the person, but it also impacts the family. And that is true for mental health conditions as well. And well-meaning family members might not know what to do or or how to help, but there, there are resources for them as well. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on and sharing all of this with us. It is, it's just vital information and education. And I hope that people can really hear this, understand it, and this will further reduce the stigma. Thank you for having me. And thank you for bringing awareness. There is a postpartum psychosis awareness day. It's May 5th. And 
if people would wear purple in support of postpartum psychosis and check out that event. All right. I will put links to you and all of the resources that we talked about in our show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Good seeing you. You can connect with Michelle at chesapeakebaypsych.com and also go to postpartum.net. In the learn more section, there are a lot of resources about postpartum psychosis. And in the get help section, you can find those specific resources for support groups and support coordinators. The more we can spread this information and education to people, the better we will be able to understand and ideally help support people who might be dealing with a perinatal psychosis. In my mind, in this day and age, we should really be on top of this. We should be able to support people who are going through any type of perinatal mental health condition, get them the correct resources, and make sure that everyone has the education that they need so that people are getting the support they deserve. So to that end, I really hope you do share this with anybody you can think of, if it's a friend, a colleague, um, an OB, a physician, anybody who you think might benefit from understanding more about postpartum psychosis, please do share this episode. As usual, I thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.